This is the Campus Retail, and I am Ben Eisenstein. I am recording this here in Coyote Canyon, California. More on that later. Gen Z. How many of us campus professionals really understand who that is, what that is? Well, the truth is the millennials are matriculating out of the college environment and hopefully into the professional workforce. The new students of this fall, and depending on who you ask, the new students of the previous couple falls are not millennials. They are Gen Z or iGen or Alpha or Centennials or I'll stop there. It appears as though the name Gen Z has won out, so we're going to go with that. Joining us for today's conversation is Bobby Calise of Ypulse, the agency responsible for the Y brand's youth brand tracker. Bobby and his team recently published a list of Gen Z's 100 favorite brands, and we're going to talk about some of those brands in the next half hour. Uh, if you work in or around campus, you might want to give some thought as to why these brands resonate so well with a demo that is currently flooding into your res halls. Uh, for reference, just Google Gen Z 100 favorite brands and you'll come across the study that we discuss here. As always, you can reach us at thecampusretail at gmail.com and at thecampusretail on Twitter. Thank you to Bobby for joining us and please excuse the phone sound quality for this conversation. Uh, we're just getting started here on the campus retail. It'll take us a bit to get the equipment component figured out. Here's our conversation with Bobby Calise about Gen Z and today's retail brands. I, you know, uh, where I work, uh, students, we're on the quarter system. So uh, students are just coming back to school. They're just moving in actually this weekend. And, you know, it got me thinking, you know, I, I guess the people that are, uh, you know, the new students uh, for this academic year, they were born probably around 2000, 2001. So uh, you tell me, I guess I put them squarely in the, in the Gen Z category, correct? Uh, yeah, that's how we define it. Everybody uh, defines it a little bit differently. I don't think there's an official definition, but uh, we know that the census uh, defines millennials as born 1982, like myself, to uh, 2000. Uh, so, you know, if a generation is about 18 years, then yeah, that would put Gen Z as uh, those born around 2000, 2001 to, to around 2019. So uh, we're comfortable with that, but, you know, if people want to look at Gen Z as 13 to 22 or whatever it might be, we're, we're happy to work with that definition as well. It doesn't really matter to us. We can, we can look at whatever age range makes sense for the client, right? And so at what point does the census step in and decide that Gen Z is like an official thing? I guess we need an official name, right? Because I've seen iGen, I've seen Gen Z. A couple of years ago, I remember seeing the term like a generation alpha, which I thought was weird. Yeah, I, I, uh, marketers and researchers are sometimes uh, surprisingly bad at naming, naming stuff like a generation. So I don't know. Generation Z seems like it's going to stick just because, right. you know, X was two before it, and then some people call millennials Y. So I'm, I'm, I really hope we don't just go to uh, Generation A, you know, after the <laughs> end of it. So we, I, I totally agree. We need to all come together on the official Gen Z name. Yeah. So I, um, you know, I, I follow a lot of different a lot of different things relating to just marketing and, you know, trends of marketing on my feed. You know, I, I don't post a lot on, on Twitter, but I mostly use that as a news feed. And then I saw this business insider, which is a great, um, it's, 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 it's a great handle to, 
you know, to monitor and then also to go to their website to see their articles. And uh, so I saw this top 100 brands for Gen Z come across my feed, clicked on the article, just sort of endlessly fascinated by it, Um, especially just, you know, the idea that 100 brands, I mean, that was a lot. It took a while to get through, but I just found it fascinating. And of course, it was a study that um, I, you know, you were quoted in and I, and I guess you sort of, uh, you, did you, you oversaw the data collection for this and sort of the analysis? Yeah. So um, just a bit about the company I work for, Y-Pulse. Uh, we're a youth research company. So we've been studying young people for about 14 years. I think the hot thing used to be millennials. Um, now, now I think it definitely has shifted toward Gen Z. Most of our clients uh, want to understand Gen Z more so than the, the old uh, millennials like myself, but, um, you know, it depends on the industry, of course. So, so why Pulse launched this, uh, this brand tracking survey, why brands in, uh, in January, just to sort of understand what are brand perceptions, uh, for, you know, the, the number of brands that we track among young people, how do they feel about them? I think it's very easy to make assumptions about what brands people love or hate and, you know, you, you read one tweet and you assume that everybody now loves or hates that brand. So we wanted to put this brand tracker in place, interview thousands and thousands of young people to really get to the bottom of, well, you know, do people really love Nike or, you know, is it just kind of their, their marketing makes it seem that way or, you know, yeah. how do they feel about Converse and Apple and Google and all those brands? So uh, we launched this survey in January and we've been collecting all this data, uh, Business Insider came to us and said, hey, look, you know, a lot of people ask us about Gen Z. We want to put together this top 100 list. We know you guys are experts in, uh, you know, youth research. Tell us tell us what 100 brands resonate most with young people. And so uh, that's kind of the genesis of how that list came about. And, and so I, I used a sort of special uh, secret sauce to figure out uh, what Gen Z brands are, are most uh, most uh I guess favorited by them, and, and so that's that's how we came about it. So just just um, just a little bit more in terms of the, the methodology, we're tracking five verticals in there. So the reason why you won't see a ton of auto brands or um, you know financial services brands, we're not asking them about those brands yet. Uh, we're primarily sticking to food and beverage. So a lot of food and beverage brands, um, quick service restaurants are in there. So the McDonald's of the world, uh, health and beauty, uh, media, tech. Uh, and entertainment uh, and fashion and apparel. So uh, again, just so if you see an app and hey, how come nobody uh, loves you know the credit card companies or the banks or or Toyota? It's because we're not asking them about those brands yet. Got it. And that that was gonna be one of the things I want to get into. It's like, man, the Gen Z loves their QSRs and they love their they love their fast food. Um, so yeah, I did want to get into the, uh, a little deeper into the methodology in a, in a second. But first, I just want to hear a little bit about your background. Seems like a really cool gig you have. And I just want to understand a little bit more about how you got into it. Uh, it is a cool gig. <laughs> um, we, uh, yeah, so I, I've had a, a, you know, I had a background in research. That's where I started my career on the media research side. I was a, a journalism major in college. He decided he didn't want to do journalism uh, once he graduated. And so, you know, after some research, learning all about Nielsen ratings and, and things like that, I spent some time at a couple different companies, um, you know, doing research and insights and uh, eventually uh, found my way onto the sales side of the business. And so, you know, my current role, I, I do a little bit of everything as it relates to the, the Y brand, uh, brand tracking survey. So if you wanted to buy it, I'd be happy to sell it to you. But, um, you know, what I do is, you know, take, you know, have interviews like this and um, talk to Business Insider and, and try to sort of spread the word about uh, the work that we're doing and 
and, um, you know, really talk to anybody who's interested uh, to learn more about what young people think of, of various brands. I've also gotten to do a little bit of writing. So, you know, putting together articles around, uh, I'm sure you heard of the IHOP, IHOB yep. um, uh, campaign, a little while ago. So, you know, we were tracking IHOP, IHOP <laughs> during the during that time when we were able to show that sort of before and after of, you know, whether that resonated with young people, whether they really liked it. And so, you know, looking at the data, putting together sort of a quick article to put out there into the world to say, hey, look, you know, we, we again, we have assumptions about this was the best thing in the world or this is the stupidest thing in the world, but it was probably somewhere in between. And, and that's why it makes sense to, you know, uh, take a closer look and actually have some data. So it's really cool to, you know, if, if the Nike Kaepernick ad, you know, comes out or, you know, a brand does something really great or really something bad, we can capture all that stuff and I can tell the world about it. So yeah, it's a, it's a pretty cool gig. Any feedback yet on the Kaepernick ad? Yeah, it's it's pretty positive among young people, to be honest. Um, you know, day to day, I know we're, I've seen some figures about how much they've gained in sales and the stock price had gone down and then went up. It went up a little bit, but as far as brand perception, um, we are seeing a little bit of an uptick among young people. Uh, two of the metrics we track, so we ask them um, whether uh, we show them a list of brands uh, that they're that they've already established they're aware of. Uh, Nike has like ninety nine percent awareness, but we ask them um, is this which of the following brands off a list that again that they're aware of um, supports causes you care about is one of the metrics we ask about, and then another one is reflects diversity. So on those two metrics in particular. Uh, we have seen uh, an uptick already uh, just based on, you know, the 13 to 39 uh, year old sample that we ask about. So uh, I expect that'll probably level off at some point, but, you know, initially I think we can clearly point to the fact that they went out there with this big, bold campaign and they saw that uptick. So, you know, it's certainly, I would say it certainly didn't hurt them among young people. We don't track 40 to 60-year-olds, and, you know, we don't track zero to 12-year-olds, so I can't definitively say everyone loved the ad, but, um, you know, most people, it seems, were were pleased with the messaging, and, and they feel better about Nike as a result. Yeah, and I did want to ask you specifically about, you know, how Gen Z thinks about brands taking stands on social issues uh, in, in a second, um, but just sticking with the methodology for a moment, are these online surveys, are these in-person, phone, is it a mix? Yeah, um, when studying youth research, this is just something over time we've gotten good at as a company. So you kind of, as, as our uh, founder and, and president, Dan Coates, likes to say, you know, you fish where the fish are. So, you know, we were able to recruit them primarily online. Most of the work is done online. Even when we're doing focus groups for custom research studies, we do a lot of that online. Um, we just find that, you know, if you, again, as, as Dan likes to say, you know, if you want to creep a bunch of uh, young people out, you, you bring them into a focus group around a, you know, a conference group. Table. Right. It's, just, it's, it's not how they like to, to, you know, spend their time. It's not how they're comfortable. So a lot of the work is online and the, the Y brand, brand tracking study in particular is also done online. So they're, you know, they, um, we show them a list of brands to ask them which ones they're aware of. And then we ask them a series of questions about uh, the brands that they are aware of. So um, that's kind of how we go about it. And we've collected, I think, I want to say about 50,000 interviews so far this year, and we're on pace to do about 80,000 by the end of December. So we're pretty pleased how it's going so far. And, and like I said, you know, thankfully, uh, some of these brands have given us a reason to dig a bit deeper into the, the data and find some 
interesting stories and, and you know, hopefully it's not always negative. We hate to be the ones harping on, well, hey, they did this horrible thing and now look at their scores have gone down. It's nice to see in the case of Nike that, you know, there was a positive impact to a, to an ad campaign. So what do you consider representative? So you said 50 to 80,000. So you have 50,000 sur- surveys so far and you want to get up to 80,000. Um, is that more than you would need statistically? To have re- what do you consider to be a representative um, uh, share of the population when it comes to, to Gen Z before you can make determinations about, or I guess generalizations about what they, what they like as a whole? Yeah, yeah, I think between Gen Z and millennials, there's something like, you know, a uh, hundred, over a hundred thousand of them. Um, you know, they're, they're definitely the becoming the, they're going to become the, the really the, the force to be reckoned with in terms of, uh, consumers. So, you know, we wanted to make sure we, we have a fair sample of them. 50 to, you know, 80,000 by the end of the year. I, I think we feel pretty confident that that's about as many millennials and Gen Zers that you'll find in any study. I think if you're reading, um, uh, an article in the Times or, or wherever it might be, um, and they're sourcing a study. Usually, people say about the magic number to see like is representative of a large sample. So, you know, for us, feel really helpful that eight thousand uh, per year. Um, you know, we just we're 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 good with that. We think uh, you know the other piece of our methodology is that it's continuous. So we're in field every day, constantly asking questions to millennials and Gen Zers as as things develop, so we're able to sort of catch these stories and capture them in, in real time. So, you know, from a methodological standpoint, it, it's pretty sound. We feel pretty good about it, but, you know, like anything else, I'm sure there's always room for improvement. And how, what is in it for them when you do when you find them online? Why are they filling it out? Are they getting compensated in some way? Yeah, yeah. So um, that was another thing, we, you know, we've learned that um, if you pay them well enough, millennials and, and Gen Zers are happy to take surveys. So we tend to pay around, you know, three times the industry average, uh, usually just to make sure that um, they have a positive experience. So the surveys are are pretty short. I think usually it takes about 10 minutes to complete a survey on a, on a particular set of brands. And, um, you know, we're, we, we try to be as visual heavy as possible, not too text heavy. And, so, you know, again, they're, they're compensated for their time and they're happy to take the survey every so often. It's, you know, it's not intrusive and, and everybody's got the uh, opportunity to opt out whenever they feel like. So, um, yeah, you know, it's like any, any other type of research, we're, we're making sure that they do get some form of compensation. Otherwise, you know, we don't expect them to give us 10 minutes of their time for nothing. Got it. So, yeah, let's I want to start diving into some, some of the results here. And I guess to me, what seems like a really interesting part about your gig is that you, you have it's left brain and right brain. So you're collecting data, you're, you know, you're running the numbers and everything, but then you get to sort of make, I guess, assessments and you're, you're generating insights for your clients that you, that you then deliver to them. So one of the first, one of the things that jumped out at me when I look at the, this list, the top 100 uh, there's a lot of there are a lot of brands are not often thought of as healthy, and we're often told you know Gen Z they, they want the healthy brands, uh, the more at least at least to have those options. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that. Uh, I've thought about this a lot myself, and uh, we do have some uh, healthier skewing brands. I, w- I was reading uh, actually in the the Business Insider post. Uh, I think I posted or, or or one of my colleagues did, and somebody in the comments was saying the very same thing, like. Uh, 
millennials and Gen Z are, are destined for heart troubles and high cholesterol with this wind or something like that. And, and somebody else wrote, well, yes, maybe maybe you think that, but nobody has like a favorite brand of celery, but that doesn't mean they don't eat it. So sure. there's something to be said for that. You know, uh, Oreos has, has been around like a hundred something years. And so it's not, it's, you know, this isn't, this isn't necessarily an indictment on, you know, healthy eating or, or unhealthy eating. Some of these brands, though, they, they've spent, I mean, billions on, on marketing over the years and they've been around so long. So, you know, it's, it's one thing to say, I like Oreos. It's another thing to say I eat it every day. And, and so I think, I think every, everybody or most people have heard of that, that for, you know, Oreos and, and Doritos is on there and Cheetos and brands like that. They have huge awareness. So, you know, you can't, you can kind of discount the fact that everybody's heard of the brand. Everybody's tasted it. Most people who have tasted it loved it. So yeah, of course they're going to do well. Again, that doesn't mean they're eating Oreos for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. So, you know, I think, I think healthy eating is, is absolutely a, a part of it, but also, you know, who doesn't like a, a sweet treat from time to time. So, um, you know, I think there's, there's that balance, but I, I, again, that jumped out at me as well with the, you know, the healthy eating trend, but, but I suppose there's room for both. Um, that's fair to say. <laughs> So Oreos way up there, Sour Patch Kids way up there. Uh, Doritos was uh, actually came in at number two in, in the entire list of uh, the brands that Gen Z, um, I guess, uh, admires. So Doritos number two. Do you have any thoughts on Doritos or in your research? Or what do what does Gen Z like about Doritos so much? Well, also um, keep in mind so the thirteen to seventeen range is, is what we use for for Gen Z in this case. So yeah. uh, based on the date ranges we talked about. So, you know, as far as healthy eating goes, I think the parents want them to eat a little bit healthier maybe, but, you know, the kids are, are in school or, you know, at a convenience store or, you know, like, you know, maybe a school store when they get a little bit older and, and so they're going to pick things that, you know, taste good. Doritos in particular, you know, they they tend to have just, you know, this really this really great brand image. I think people think they're they're cool and, you know, they're, they're sort of, um, they were associated with the Super Bowl a couple of years yep. ago. I think there's always going to be, you know, value with kind of, you know, the way that you position your brand relative to kind of others that you, you know, uh, others, uh, you know, other things that, you know, you associate yourself. So sports being one of them, I actually wanted to grab the, uh, the percentage of people who think Doritos is cool. And that's particularly among 13 to 17 year olds. So, um, just to give you kind of a sense of some of the data we have. So 70, 72.3% of people said that Doritos are cool. So, um, and not, no pun intended. I don't know if that includes cool the, ranch. Uh, cool ranch flavor. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's interesting. And it's true. When I think of Doritos, I do think of Super Bowl. I mean, it's almost word association. That's almost the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, I said thing. I know. Yeah. Obviously, I did. I said it, but I wasn't sure if that was going to resonate with everybody. But good to know. You know what it is, and I can get even really specific. You know, because when I was growing up, uh, you know, we're I think we're around the same age, and uh, Allie, the Alley Landry spot and the Dorito Super Bowl <laughs> that, that resonated. <laughs> there you go. So that's one I remember. Yeah, yeah. That probably was around. I don't know. It was around probably late nineties or early two thousands um, at the most. Now, sticking with uh, with the with the sort of on the on the Doritos level, um, I had a question about. Okay, so Cheetos came in at number seven, and at, at UC Riverside, at our C stores, at our convenience stores, Flaming Hot Cheetos are by far the number one seller. Uh, I think maybe outside of bottled water, but it's a Flaming Hot Cheetos when it comes to food, to food items. I wonder if your research turned up anything about Flaming Hot Cheetos. Uh, do you just consider that to be part of the overall Cheetos brand? Uh, that's just more of sort of a pet question on my part. 
No, that's a that is a good question. And we don't we I, I've I've turned this around a lot in my head. To, I'm trying to figure out you know what how how do we do that? Because you can really do that with you know with any almost any brand. You you start to think about different iterations. Yeah. What I'll tell you is that uh, if I'm not mistaken, Doritos is uh, owned by uh, Pepsi Frito Lay. So if they come to us and and want to become a client and they say, look, we need you to break out flaming hot versus other types of Doritos, then we would absolutely do that. I've actually thought about this even from a brand tracking perspective, a flavor, a flavor tracker at some point. I was thinking yeah. it would be really interesting to see like, you know, flaming hot and sriracha, avocado and coconut and things like that. You know, what are the leading um, flavors that, that people are into, especially Gen Z? Because I, I would guess that might even be a little bit different than, you know, Gen X or, or Millennials. So, um, good question. Uh, nothing on flaming yet, but uh, but like I said, if you have any connections at PepsiCo, uh, you let me know, and I'll get it in there as soon as possible. Yep, you got it. Uh, so, uh, moving on a little bit, American Eagle, uh, Nike, uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, for lack of a better word, activist uh, brands. Um, how important is it to Gen Z for brands to take social stands now? I think it used to sort of be, you know, you know, the, the going knowledge was, hey, if you're a corporation, don't touch it. You don't want to turn anybody off. Uh, there seems to be a change there. Yeah, it, it's tremendously important. So, um, you know, I think I think there's tons of choices for brands out there now, and may, maybe more so than ever. If you have it, you know, as a tiebreaker, if it's a difference of you know a couple bucks or a couple cents, you're going to pick the brand that you have a perception of, you know, supports causes you care about. And again, that's one of the metrics that we, that we track. So yeah, that's, it's one of many things, uh, you know, at the end of the day, there's lots of brands that have stayed apolitical and people still love them, but you know, the ones that, that sort of stand for something do seem to have the staying power over time. Uh, the best example of that, uh, that I could think of is actually Levi's, you know, uh, speaking of, I spoke of Oreo, which is over a hundred years old. Levi's, I think it's like, 150 years old or, wow. or something crazy like that and is still scoring pretty high among 13 to 17 year olds and, and really across the whole 13 and 37 and if you look back at their history long before Nike and, and Kaepernick there was you know Levi's standing out for things like gay rights and, and all sorts of social issues they put themselves front and center so that stuff does does measure and I think I think from a long-term perspective you know, if you if you start thinking about Levi's as a brand that supports causes you care about when you're 13 years old, you know that could carry over to when you're 35 years old. So uh, this stuff is really important. I think it's super smart for brands, especially youth-focused brands, to really really um, get involved in that stuff early. American Eagle is is definitely another good example of that. Um, and in particular, their um, I guess you'd call it their intimate brand, uh, Airy. Uh, does a lot of work with you know body positive um, images, things like that. So they're super smart. Um, you know, as you said, I think I even quoted in that article. You know, it used to be it used to be risky to to take a stand, and now it's almost risky not to. And I think Nike, you know, ran the numbers on that and said, look, I think I think we actually make more money if we did alienate some people versus if we did nothing. So it's, you know, it's kind of becoming a, a pretty big issue, this idea of brand activism and what does the brand stand for and, and politically stuff. Yeah, and if I, you know, you look at American Eagle, that's a very smart move they made. And, you know, I don't want to be cynical about it and say they did it for strategic reasons. Uh, maybe they did, maybe not. But it's such a stark contrast compared, comparing them with Abercrombie, who's been caught totally flat-footed by this. And uh, I think they're still recovering a lot of regards from, <laughs> their former CEO. Anybody just needs to just Google uh, 
Jeffries, I forgot his name was Mike Jeffries. Oh my God, the stories on that guy. Uh, so I think they're still recovering from that. He's no longer with the company, but it's interesting uh, how some companies are now being able to use that um, as, a, as a strategic advantage. I think it shows a lot of foresight on their part. Um, I want to ask you about Chick-fil-A because Chick-fil-A ranks high, and but they sort of had their own, you know, they, they've run into their own issues when it comes to social issues uh, over the past couple of years, I believe uh, with gay marriage sort of being the, uh, the main one. How do you think they've been able to navigate these waters? Um, you know, they, I mean, they, they don't even open in most locations on Sundays, I think, you know, for religious reasons. and But they seem to, to rank high regardless. Yeah, um, there's a couple factors at play here. So I'm glad you brought them up specifically because that's one that I always I think a lot about as well. So um, just keep in mind in terms of the methodology, when we ask uh, about a brand, we ask them, are they, or we ask the respondent first, are you aware of this brand? Uh, Chick-fil-A's footprint is still largely Southern. I, I believe they, I want to say they came out of Georgia was, uh, was where they were founded. So in terms of awareness, uh, that is still the biggest bucket for them. I think, um, you know, our research shows that of the 13 39 who are aware of Chick-fil-A, uh, 42% of them are out of South, 21.4% out of the Midwest. So, you know, you, you have to just be mindful in terms of who we're actually speaking to. We, get, we, we make the survey nationally representative in terms of who we ask the question to, but if the majority is, is from a particular region, then so be it. So, the data that we have ends up being skewing towards the South, and so you can describe whatever um, whatever values to whatever issues you think you know the South versus the, the Northeast might have. But I think part of it is the data you're seeing is skewing uh, Southern. Another piece of this, though, is um, not everyone has necessarily heard about the quote unquote controversy around. I think it was what was it their CEO and founder said something to the effect of not supporting gay marriage, I want to say, is, is kind of what brought that controversy on. Um, like you said, highly religious, the staying closed on Sundays, which you know most business people would never do in a million years, right. but they're sticking with it. I would say the one last piece of it is that, um, similar to Nike, I think people respect when you take a stand, even if mm. it's not the stand that you want them to take. So I think a little bit of that is at play. Um, you know, people say, well, look, you know, if they're if they're holding holding their ground on that particular issue, then so be it. I mean, I'm, my my political beliefs don't necessarily align with Chick Fil A, but that wouldn't necessarily stop me from from buying Chick Fil A if if I was in the mood. So you know, there's a there's a lot going. It's not as black and white as, as we think it is sometimes. I think Chick Fil A is the perfect example of that. Yeah, I think that's well put. All right, so number one on your list, YouTube, and I guess that should not be a big surprise. Um, you know, you, you think about cord cutting or just, you really just think even without cord cutting, I mean, YouTube is such a, so much content on there. It's really quite remarkable, you know, I, you know, and I remember when it came out and just being kind of amazed by it, 2006, whatever it was. And, and I still am. I mean, there's endless amounts of content you can entertain, entertain yourself with, uh, with YouTube. So you have any thoughts on, uh, you know, about how Gen Z thinks about YouTube and, you know, why it's such a, why it's so beloved to them? Yeah, um, I mean, between YouTube and, and, and Google, I think it's pretty high up there as well. You have, you have free services, so I think free, the yep. right price point, I think, is a big part of it. I know YouTube <laughs> has, a, has a paid aspect as well, but, you know, you think about, it's funny, and I, I feel like I'm dating myself, but you, know, you think about what does TV mean to people, right? And so, you know, at some point, is a TV a TV set? Um, you know, is a TV just a monitor where I'm putting my YouTube content on there? So, you know, if you're 13 to 17 years old or even... 
22 years old, you might not have grown up using a traditional TV setup. Your TV might be YouTube. So, you know, in some sense, it's like you're asking them, you're asking them to rate the, the concept of free video content, right? So who's, who's going to say no to that? Um, you know, YouTube hasn't really had too many controversies around it. I know there were some issues around uh, the types of ads and content that have run, you know, before and after certain brands. And, you know, there's there's some issues around control of content and, and privacy is always an issue, things like that. But for the most part, I think they've, they've managed to steer fairly clear of any major controversy. So there's no real reason not to like YouTube. Uh, and I think, I think that's part of it. So, you know, same with, same with an Oreos or Doritos. Like, yeah, of course I like it. You know, yeah. It's not even a hesitation. So I, I think that's probably how it made its way up to number one. Again, that being the fact that it, the fact that it's free always helps. That makes sense. All right. So just to get you out of here on this, um, you know, I plan on doing a lot of surveys um, and yes, even some, some focus groups with, with our campus population uh, this academic year. And, sort of what I had envisioned was really, I, I want, you know, I'm going to have, have a team of people. We're going to go out to actually see people that are eating at our restaurants that are sitting down and then offering them some incentive to take a survey about what, you know, what they think of our, of that particular brand, how we can improve that type of thing. Um, so do you have any advice for, for people working on, on campus or really anybody who wants to do this? Are you saying don't do in-person intercepts these days and keep it all online or do a healthy mix? And what's, what's sort of your, your feedback on that? Well, um, what I will say is that it's, um, I think any, any type of research, the fact that you're going out there and asking questions is a good thing. You know, I, I kind of said that, you know, putting somebody around a focus group is not necessarily the best methodology for young people. That being said, if you catch somebody in their natural environment, whether you ask them a question or you just kind of observe and, and you know, if you want, depending on a little bit how maybe creepy, creepy you want to be, you could kind of go up and, you know, grab somebody as they're, as they're making their choice on a particular snack, but... Yeah. Um, you know, I think all anybody who's curious and, and you know if they're willing to answer a couple of questions, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, online uh, also tends to be more uh, efficient. So if you think about, you know, if you've done any research in the past, you think about a focus group. You, you kind of have to choose a couple of different markets where you want to do the study. So let's say we want to look at San Francisco and Atlanta. You have to set up a, a whole conference room and things like that. With the online approach, we can we can replicate a focus group with uh, what we call a pop-up community. And so basically we um, get a bunch of people online and ask them a series of questions about various things. We might even ask them to go to the store, buy a couple of snacks, and then come back and tell us what they bought and why. Wow. So, you know, online tends to facilitate that in the sense that you don't have to go through the rigmarole of setting up a focus group. But again, to your point, I think if you if you just started to ask people, hey, hey, why'd you pick that? Did you consider something else? And, you know, what, what went into that decision? I think that's great. Um, whatever, whatever data you can collect, I mean, I'm sure there's lots of entrepreneurs out there who tell stories about just, you know, boots on the ground, kind of knocking on doors, trying to get information. So more power to you, however you want to approach it. Got it. And then uh, lastly, and if this is proprietary, you can just tell me to get lost, but uh, do you have any recommendations as far as a, ball, a ballpark figure uh, when it comes to compensation for uh, for when it comes to filling out surveys for Gen Z? Oh, yeah. Um, if you, well, I would say uh, 10 bucks an hour is probably more than fair. Cool. Uh, that being said, if, you, if you're surveying anybody for an hour, that is way too long. So, right. <laughs> so I would say as a rule, keep it, keep it under 15 minutes and people will be happy. And, you know, that's, that's only a couple bucks for only a couple minutes. I think people will take that trade off.
All right, that was Bobby Calise. Thanks to him and thanks to Wipols. So I hope you all got something out of that. I'm going to leave you with some sounds. Would you believe I live near a canyon where there are coyotes? And at night, I sometimes hear them. So I'm going to leave you with some sounds of coyotes from the canyon just outside my apartment. I hope you enjoy it. We'll see you next time.